And I begin, my first lecture that I give is what the definition of a myth is, just broadly speaking. And a myth is a strange thing because a myth is a story. It comes from the Greek word that means word or story. And it's a story that is traditional in the sense that it's handed down from generation to generation. It's uh, handed down from generation to generation. And that means nobody really knows where any of these come from or what the original source of these myths are. But they continue to get told and retold and reshaped in each successive generation and they're told in such a way that is relevant for the people that are telling the story and for the people that are hearing the story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Less Than Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me tonight is a return guest. Uh, Stephen was part of our 2021 roundtable, and uh, he and I were exchanging a few emails back and forth, and he said something interesting, and I said, ooh, that sounds like a fun topic for a podcast. And he nicely, uh, courteously said, okay, sure, we'll talk about it. So Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jesse. It's good to be back and it's good to be with you. Yeah. So everything going as well as can be expected uh, up where you are? Everything is going as well as can be expected. Yes. Yeah. That's right. It's going uh, here as well as it is, I think, everywhere else yeah. at the moment. We were, before I hit record, I was telling you that here in Texas, it's just not, it's a scary time. And we have a lot of people that are, um, you know, fighting COVID and uh, there's, it's, it's a weird time, you know, for the economy uh, that trying to find people. So yeah, it's uh, very, very uh, weird and as we're recording this, uh, we've got word that Ronnie Spector died today, which was kind of sad news. That's really sad news. Yeah, that's really sad news. Yeah, uh, we um, that, you know, such a such a wonderful voice and such a, a, a dynamic presence. And it was kind of nice because, you know, uh, little Stephen tweeted a little bit the story about how much while they were in the wilderness years of, you know, fighting with Mike Appel, they were able to go with that and work with her, which was just a really nice story. Yeah, that's right. I know that that is what helped keep the band afloat, I think, right? Yes, for a little while. absolutely. Yeah, that's good. So for those of you who had not heard you on previous episodes, tell us a little about yourself. So um, I am a professor of Greek and Latin at a small college in Michigan. Mostly I teach students how to read the New Testament in Greek. That's why most of my students are interested in, in working with me, but I also contribute to our college's general education program. And one of the courses that I teach is a course in classical mythology. Okay. And that is in part, I think, part what we'll be talking a little bit about today. 
I, I think how, so. How I how I use Bruce Springsteen in my classical mythology class. Yes, you talked about that, and I said, "Oh, we have to talk about this." Um, what is why do they want to read the the either or the old or the New Testament in the original Greek? But what is the what is the appeal of that? So I am at a it's a it's at a faith based institution that okay. I teach. It's a Christian school. Okay. And many of the students that go there, well, I won't say many, but a good number of students that go there are interested in entering the ministry in one way or another. Okay. And so, um, you know, most students have to take a foreign language, and a lot of them choose Spanish as they would in most, uh, you know, everywhere else. But there yeah. are a few who want to be able to minister or in order to be good pastors in their view, being able to read the new Testament in the original will help them on their journey. So that's what brings them to me. It's not a a huge number of students, but the students that I have are really devoted to it. So it's fun to teach them. Because I do know, right. There is that the idea of the, the original word in Greek can mean different things in modern language. Correct. That's right. And uh, every translation that one might read gets a piece of it, but uh, no word translates exactly, right? Mm-hmm. That, that there are some that they have a variety of different meanings. And, and what my students want to be able to do is to understand all the different possibilities that a particular passage might mean by looking at the, what the Greek actually says. Do you, so, do you yeah. have a, like a general example of that or that might something that comes off that you know is your your class finds pretty interesting or leads to a pretty good discussion point yeah so pretty early on i try to teach my students this passage in john john uh john john 3 chapter 3 where the famous yeah. john three sixteen comes from right here in this passage jesus is talking to nicodemus who is a pharisee but he's interested in what jesus is up to and the, the conversation that the two of them have centers on a, a number of multiple meanings that a few words could have. So when we talk about born again Christians, that word again in Greek means both again and also from above. And so when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's talking, he's, he's constantly switching between what, you know, what connotation that word has. He's using the same word, but sometimes he means it in the again sense and sometimes he means it in the from above sense and Nicodemus gets all confused and when we actually look through the passage and see how Jesus is uh, essentially beating the Pharisee a Pharisee at their own game Pharisees are known for being able to you know interpret the word of God and all this Uh, Jesus is running circles around him and it's actually fun to watch in Greek, and there's no way to do it in English because in English you have to pick either right. born again or born from above. In Greek, you get to have both meanings working at the same time and watching the confusion. And so students really love to see that happening. And there's, that's not just the only word. There's other words in that particular passage uh, where that happens. You know, I was raised Southern Baptist and then converted to Catholicism because Linda and I were dating and it just seemed to be easier at the time. So I grew up with a lot of 
Sunday school and, and, and a lot of discussions. And I, uh, one of my early pastors when I was in junior high school was a professor at a local college. And he also, you know, so he had started becoming our pastor um, as a fill-in pastor for the Baptist church. And then we ended up, uh, the congregation loved us so much. They convinced him to, you know, be a full-time pastor as well as a full-time professor. <laughs> and so I do remember things about this where he'll talk about in this passage, there's, there's different versions of what the word could mean. And depending on which version can change the meaning of the sentence. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, you know, and I, like a famous, I remember Zig Ziglar in one of his, um, on the way to the top or whatever, talked about I did not say he stole the money. And depending on which word, I did not say he stole the money. I did not say he stole the money. Depending on which word you put the emphasis on changes the meaning of the sentence totally. Yeah. And so when I teach my students writing, I, one of the, the, my big bugaboos is where you place only in the sentence because only acts as a limiter and it can change the meaning of the sentence where you put it. So if you take the sentence, I love you, where I put only makes a difference. If I say only I love you, that's different from me saying I love only you. Yes. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I also read recently 
yeah, I guess about a year ago, about how military leaders teach people in communication to never use the word but or however. <laughs> right. Uh, because, and, and I think about that anytime I'm writing a memo that when I, th- we really think you're doing a good job, but, right. you know, wipes out everything that you said before. And it doesn't always yeah. do that, but it kind of in context does. So that's, uh, I would think that would be, that sounds like a very interesting study to have. And I could see how people wanting to do that to be to provide the very best, um, you know, educated leanings, you know, Christianity is such a, it's a thing of faith, but there also is so much in there. And I, I'm always amazed at the people that lift up the Bible and every word's the word of God and it's all literal. And I'm like, well, let's, let's kind of, let's be careful how we say that. Well, and the thing that I always try to, re- to, t- to remind my students is yes. that Jesus is not always kind to people who claim to know things about God's will when, he, yes. when, when you see him in his ministry. So it's just a little reminder to all of us to be humble, too, I think. I think we're very well done. I remember probably in the I wasn't in high school yet or junior high. So I must have been fourth or fifth or sixth grade and discovered Greek myths in the, you know, the elementary school library and went through. uh, I've always been someone that when I find a subject or a writer, I try to burn through everything, whether, you know, if I find a new writer, it's okay. And now I've got to try everything I can find from him or her. Um, So I can remember reading tons of greek myth books and was fascinated by them i I, i'm curious what do you teach and what do you do and let's then we'll get to after you give me a little bit of that we'll talk about how you tie in bruce yeah thanks so um so i've been teaching myth at my school for about uh, a decade now maybe 12 years and i begin my first lecture that i give is what the definition of a myth is just broadly speaking. And a myth is a strange thing because a myth is a story. It comes from the Greek word that means word or story. And it's a story that is traditional in the sense that it's handed down from generation to generation. It's uh, handed down from generation to generation. And that means nobody really knows where any of these come from or what the original source of these myths are but they continue to get told and retold and reshaped in each successive generation. And they're told in such a way that is relevant for the people that are telling the story and for the people that are hearing the story. So in my myth course, I actually don't give any exams because I'm afraid that if I give an exam, what I'll be asking my students for is to tell me what the definitive version of a particular myth is. And myth, by definition, though it has some elements, each myth has their own elements that make it identifiable as a particular myth. The myth of Oedipus, for example, means that he kills his father and he marries his mother. And without those elements, it ceases to be that myth and it will be something else. But they are really flexible and can be told and retold in any number of ways. So that's the, that's the definition that I start working with. Yikes. 
and I go back to right. It's it's the there is no correct answer. Does Mary get in the car? Because right. that is that is that is a Bruce Springsteen myth. He has told the story. He has set the up, and it is um, everyone's version of does Mary get in the car is valid because it is there. Um, so if you don't give test. Do they just they pass because of uh, audience participation? You know, me guy manager. I'm trying to think. Oh, how do you evaluate? <laughs> so they, uh, yeah. I here's really what the course is about. Right. When we are reading myths, I want students to be able to distill the fundamental human question that is being raised in that particular myth. You know, what is it about the human experience that this myth is meant to address? You know, because I know early on, as I started reading these books of myths, that in some introduction or somewhere it was taught like, well, it's trying to explain uh, why things happen, you know, Um, and then but as I read them, not all of them had a reason for that right like uh you you may explain you know why the sun moves right so it's apollo and his chariot but but there and then some of them very much are well we're going to explain why there is dew on the ground or why things are happening but others just seem to be just stories and i don't know if there was necessarily a like a feast, Aesop's fables, right? Like where there if definitely is trying to teach you something. Yeah. So there's the difference between a myth and a fable. Yeah. Is that a fable has one lesson that it's trying to communicate. Okay. You know, uh, don't act too rashly. Uh, you know, treat everyone with respect. Those sorts of those myths. They usually those those fables usually involve animals and they're trying to communicate one thing. A myth is trying to communicate many things simultaneously. It's addressing multiple different, they're, they're stories with multiple points that they're trying to make. So yes, there are certain myths about, uh, you know, why the sun is going from one side of the sky to the other. And there's a particular kind of name for those myths, but I tend not to focus on those myths in my class. They're, they're important myths, but in a general education course, what I want students to begin to, to do is to explore what it means to be a human being. What does it mean that we someday are going to die? How do we begin to determine what the meaning of life is really about? How do we relate to our parents? How do we relate to our kids? What does it mean to risk something? One of the things, as I was talking about earlier, um, Reverend Skinner was the pastor who was... um, my high school pastor before I moved to Catholicism. And there was something that there is a passage where um, after, after Christ had died and he's resurrected and he has the whole feed my sheaves, feed my sheaves, feed my sheaves story. Mm -hmm. And, um, and what, what struck me and it struck to me, and this was probably 40 to 50 years ago, but I stand by that with the going that each time, you know, Jesus asked that he kept digging, digging, digging. And finally, um, as he put it, like 
do you love me? And he's like, well, finally goes, yeah, I love you, but. Right. And, and then, and then, and, and, and Christ was like, okay, now then that we've gotten all the other stuff, now I can work with you. And, right. and I've remembered that often when I'm working with a, an employee or a coworker or a family member, when we get to the, you know, I don't, I'm not happy with this situation. I've, I've been telling you, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And now when I finally get to, you know, actually when you do this behavior, it makes me act this way. Or when this happens, I feel this way. Okay. Once we've gotten to the root of the problem, now we can fix it. Right. So I don't know if that's a myth, but that is a, that is something that has stuck with me as that part of the Bible that I think I use fairly often in my real life. Yeah, that's really what I'm aiming for. Um, I'm I'm trying to not teach. I'm trying to teach students about the ancient world. Yes, but I'm also trying to give them some tools uh, that which they can once they graduate college they they will have thought about some of the major things that they're going to face as they get older. Mm-hmm. Because when they're 18 to 22, they don't they're not thinking about their mortality. No, because they live in in the in in okay in COVID. Yes. There are, you know, where death is more around the corner for us now than it probably has ever been for us in our lifetimes. Absolutely. But if you live in ancient Greece, like half of the people who are born don't survive into adulthood, right? So there are no parents that are out there in the world that have not experienced the loss of a child. There yeah. are no kids that haven't experienced the loss of a sibling. You know, these are things that are present every day for people living in the ancient world that aren't present for us now, but there are things that through the miracle miracle of modern science, we don't have to face until we're in our thirties, forties, fifties, when people around us start dying at a ripe old age, if everything goes well. Yeah. But if it's, you're not around it, how do you know how to work with it when you're young, you know? Is there any one, and I promise listeners, we're going to get to Bruce, but I'm fascinated by this. Um, Is there any one particular myth that kind of blows people's minds? Like, I I remember um, that there, I will, I will have a story that I will read. And I remember thinking, I very clearly understand that this is what the story is about and this is the ending. And then I've had really good um, English teachers and literature teachers go, oh, no, but they say something. I go, wait a minute. No, that isn't what the story is about at all. And then like and now my mind's blown up. So I'm going to use this as a as a way to turn into how Bruce relates to all this. Okay, so um, the first thing that I ask my students to read is Homer's Odyssey. Okay. We spend the first month or so of class reading Homer's Odyssey. And everyone has heard something about Homer's Odyssey, right? They know that it's a big, long journey. That's what an Odyssey is. And they may have heard about, like, the Cyclops, you know, uh, and, and Odysseus, who's the hero, gouging his eyes out, or the Sirens, you know, the Siren Song, avoiding the Siren Song. And uh, that is what uh, people think about when they are thinking about the Odyssey. Absolutely. Actually, actually, that's only about four books. It's about like one small section. It's a 20, it's 20, it's 24 chapters, which we call books. And that's only four of those 24, right? The other, the other 20 
are about other things. Oh, right? okay. And, and they're not about the journey at all. For most of the Odyssey, actually, Odysseus isn't going anywhere. He's either not present or he's sitting in one place. See, you just gave me a look like, huh, what yes, about ex- see, exactly. your mind is just blown? Yes, right? it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and and I'll tell you what the Odyssey is about because it, it relates to how why I teach Springsteen on Broadway. So okay. the first four books of the Odyssey are about the fact that Odysseus is not at home. And when he's not at home, we focus in on his son who has to grow up without the influence of a father and who relies on his mother to provide any kind of guidance for him. There's, there's, there's all these problems that are happening in Odysseus's uh, world without him there. He's been gone for 20 years. He's been fighting in a war for 10 years and he's been trying to get home for 10 years. So he's off traveling. Our focus isn't on Odysseus and all of his wonderful adventures in war or his adventures with the Cyclops. It's what are the effects of his absence on the people that aren't with him? His son who doesn't know how to be a man. He hasn't had a father for 20 years. His wife who doesn't know whether she should remarry or wait for him. She's supposed to be uh, loyal to him, but um, there are people who want to marry her because she's the queen and because without a king, the place is in tremendous disarray and disorder. Then um, we, we meet Odysseus trying to get home. And that's kind of the middle part, right? Where he's trying to make his way home. He's stuck on an island for seven years with a beautiful goddess, staring out at the sea, crying his eyes out. Uh, during the day, but he's called into the bed of the goddess at night uh, because that's why she's holding him hostage there. And then, you know, he he gets brought to this other place and he tells all these great stories. And then those people, they send him home. And the second half is Odysseus coming home in disguise, by the way. He has to put on, a, um, he has to put on uh, like a, a guise of an old person because um, he doesn't want to be recognized for fear that they might kill him when he returns home because um, he's going to be outnumbered by people that want to take his position and aren't going to exactly be happy to see him. So we have to watch him return home and try to make uh, make peace with this place that he's been away away from for 20 years and begin to understand who he is in relation to this place and what this he's bringing. He's coming back, not the same person but the place is the same and hasn't moved on the way that he has. So what's the, what's the relationship going to be there? Um, he comes back and he kills everybody that is trying to marry his wife and take all of his possessions. And that's, that's what the Odyssey is about. Okay. So how does this relate to Bruce? Well, what I've just described is essentially the, structure of the entire Springsteen on Broadway show. Springsteen begins with telling stories of his youth, growing up, talking about his relationship to his dad and his relationship to his mom. That's right. how the Odyssey begins, actually. Odyssey, uh, uh, Springsteen talks about, Bruce talks about 
how his relationship as a child with his dad was really strained because his dad, even though he was there, you know, there's this one line where he says his dad is at the kitchen table, but he was unreachable. Yes. That's exactly the experience that Telemachus has trying to learn how to be a man without his father present. Odysseus, you know, Odysseus is gone. Well, okay. So Springsteen's Bruce's father's gone, but he's there because he has suffering from mental illness. Right. So you can see what I mean, that there are these questions, but what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be an adult that are absolutely central to both of these works? Yes. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, another thing that comes to mind is we were um we were just watching as a family um the the latest stars series in that power universe you know power book two and um they one of the main characters um husband comes from back from jail and all of a sudden he's like now then you don't need to run the streets you can go back to your house you know i'm here now you you can take care of the home you don't need to run drunks anymore that's what i will do and and i stopped it and i said you know um i've heard from many people that one of the biggest reasons that military families have divorce is that the and traditional and i realize that isn't the case now but the male would go off to be in the submarine for three months at a time or would go off to you know serve overseas for a year and then the spouse the wife would have to run the household and would have to do everything because he's not there and then when he'd come back okay now then i'm used to doing everything and they're like no i'm i can't flip back and forth from i have to do everything when you weren't here and now then you expect me to go back to this role. So I was thinking as you're talking about, right, this, this, the queen had to learn how to do everything without him. And then the adjustment of him coming back, I just was very current day. I mean, this is something that happens every day. Exactly. And, and what I would say to you, Jesse, is that it's right there at the foundation of, you know, what we call Western literature. Yeah. That Homer is asking us to think about the costs of war, not just on the number, the bodies lost and lives in battle, but he's asking us to focus in on those that are left behind while all this is going on. That war is destructive, not just to the, 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 the civilizations or the cultures that are fighting one another, where the war is actually taking place. Even if the war isn't on your own soil, there are costs to it. Yes. And that's what Homer's asking us to think about yeah. in the beginning, which incidentally is something that Bruce also tackles in the middle section of his show, where he's talking about in particular, where he, when he offers the born in the USA story about, about yes. Walter and Bart, right. That, that, you know, Bruce is, does not go to the war, but he asks, Oh, he, he recognizes that him not going to the war has a cost even that has a cost. Yes, he's li- alive and with us, but there's something that clearly he's carrying on his conscience and has been carrying on his conscience for a long time. I think I've, I know I've shared this on the podcast, but um, that line before he goes into the blues version of Born in the Essay is he goes, I often wonder who went in my place. That's right. 
and that um and i always think of that when i see people being the way people will be on bulletin boards and social media about you know uh, bruce was a deaf draft dodger or you know social rich people you know or you know not going to serve and and i always think of that there was a toll to that uh, you know and, and there um, we as fans know the whole story that he ended up not getting drafted. This was, you know, because of medical reasons, but there is that guilt of, I didn't go. And, and right. there is that consequences. There is the, um, my mother, my dad was in the military 20 plus years. And my mom absolutely talks about that having to do everything while he was in Vietnam and then him giving back was a huge adjustment for them that, you know, and they ended up divorcing over, not just for that, but because of that. And that is a cost of war that he's, that you would think as we grow as a society, we would get past certain things, but there, I guess there are certain things that are fundamental and exactly. as you're discussing in this. Yeah. And so I'll say this, that when Odysseus returns from the war and he sees that his household is being beset by all these people that want to marry his wife. Yeah. And by the way, it's perfectly reasonable for them to want to marry his wife, Penelope, because they haven't had a king for 20 years. What? Yes. And, and, and like there's no one there's no one who's in charge of anything like things are things are not progressing. They're yes. not moving on. It's it's perfectly reasonable to expect that your life will that that the world should continue in in the absence of those people that are gone. But from their perspective, from the returning vets perspective, uh, that there is at least for Odysseus, it's no, you're supposed to keep this place for me until I return. And the way he handles those suitors, the people that are trying to marry his wife, Penelope, is he kills them all. He murders every last one of them, 108 people mm. with, the, with the help of his son and a few loyal servants. That's it. They lock them in a room and he strings a bow, you know, his bow and arrow and he shoots it through the neck of who he sees as the leader. And then he, he and his son, they just, they, they mow them, the rest of them down. And it's a scene of tremendous violence. There's blood everywhere. There's guts everywhere. And the, the, the cruelty and the horror of that moment strikes modern audiences as especially brutal. And I think it would have also struck ancient audiences as especially brutal. But that's what happens when you send people off to war. They come back and they, they don't reintegrate well into society. You know, there was a work of a, psych, of a psychologist, psychiatrist, his name is Jonathan Shea. And he had been working with returning veterans from Vietnam uh, in, in working with PTSD. And he had some sort of health problem. I can't remember what it was. But while he was recovering from that health problem, he, he read the Iliad and the Odyssey because he was stuck in bed. And as he was reading those, those, those Homeric poems, he said to himself, oh my God, the descriptions in here are exactly what I'm hearing from my PTSD Vietnam veterans. You know, uh, Stephen, I'm so glad you mentioned that because as you were telling the story and you were talking about him, his anger and, and the, you know, with his son and the few servants and putting him on a room and killing him, I was like, you know, gosh, that almost sounds like this over, you know, PTSD. He's overcompensating instead of 
understanding the reality of, yes, it's been 20 years. Things must have moved on. Now that I'm back, let's figure out what's going on. You know, a very super solution, a very simple solution, right? Well, let's just kill them all and let the gods sort it out. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, where, where to, to bring it back to, 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 to Bruce again, you know, this, this moment when Odysseus returns and he has his son by his father's side, there's a reconciliation there between those mm-hmm. two. There's actually a really beautiful recognition scene when Odysseus shows up, he's dressed up like this old beggar and his son walks into a room and greets someone else with the term like Papa, Daddy, and, and Odysseus has to watch his son greet another person, a person who was maybe a male role model for him and what that mm-hmm. might have done to him. And uh, shortly thereafter, Odysseus reveals himself and he's, he says, it's the, it's the Luke, I am your father moment. Yeah. It's, it's I, I am your father. And they, 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 they begin to hold one another and they're weeping. And the way that, um, the way that Homer describes it, he says, it's, it's like a mother bird who comes back to the nest with worms to feed her babies and she finds them gone. Mm. That's the weeping. She, they cried, Telemachus, Odysseus's son, and Odysseus cried like that because they're crying over things that are gone and can never, ever, ever be replaced. You can't ever, there's, that loss is, to use, to use Springsteen's words, it's an irretrievable loss. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. Because, you know, you're thinking this like, you know, 20 years, like you, you left whatever young I was. I'm now a man. I am, a, you know, as I have a totally different person, you know, and, and you have, these changed you. The other thing I wanted, and I'm sure you're going to get to this, but you, you mentioned that the middle part is this journey. And, yes. you know, Bruce talks about, right, the band and that's right. together. And then also the the epic tale of him in the truck learning how to, you know, it, right. It, it, this exactly. journey of going there. Yeah, exactly. So what I what I started to say, Jesse, is that I don't think that Bruce has necessarily read the Odyssey. Maybe right. he has. I don't know. There's no I have no evidence of that. But it's interesting that the structure of Springsteen on Broadway follows pretty closely the structure of the Odyssey, whether whether Bruce knows it or not. Because, yeah, there's the story about his mom and, you know, his dad first and his absence of his father. And then how he relied on his mother, bought him the guitar and he sings, you know, he sings that really beautiful song, you know, and then. We get the story about him traveling with, you know, to traveling to 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 make that show. And he sings the promised land and Thunder Road, leaving home for the first time and all this. Yeah, it's just, you know, okay, it's not about the Odyssey is about Odysseus, son and then Odysseus. Springsteen is about him as a young person and then uh, getting started and then forming the band and then later on. But it's 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 interesting. How, yeah, how the show follows it the is. same pattern. And um, I um, I take it the same thing. We get the quote-unquote happy ending, right, with Land of Hope and Dreams and Dancing in the Dark, similar to Odysseus back with his family, right? Right. Except the end of the Odyssey is much darker. I've, but I will tell you, I had the opportunity to see uh, the most recent iteration of 
uh, well, okay, what do I do here? What do I say? Which way do I go? All right, here's what I'm going to say. Okay. So you can before, go both, before, by the way. Before, I will. I'm going to do both. Okay. So Odysseus uh, receives this message when he visits the underworld that his journey, he will make it back home and he will restore order, but that won't be the end of his story. He's going to have to go on yet another journey after that. So even though the Odyssey ends and it ends on this really dark place, there are ink, there are there are points in the in Homer's poem that point to the fact that Odysseus's story is going to continue on after this. And and when I teach that moment in class, I I ask them how that might relate to to Springsteen's closing song in the Netflix special, right. which is Born to Run. Right. Right. Of course, Springsteen. That whole Born to Run section is about Bruce returning home to see his old tree is gone, right? That he's back to the place where he grew up, but is recognizing that it is somehow different, which is the experience that Odysseus has when he returns back to Ithaca. He's upset that the place isn't the way that he left it and the way that he remembered it 20 years ago. So there's Odysseus is having that experience and Bruce is having that experience. But if you say that it goes dark, then now that he ends instead of born to run with i'll see you you know i'll see you in my dreams that's right that that there's a that there's a, a song this the more recent version that i got to see in july i think oh maybe we went in august um i went to see in august it was it ends on a much more somber note that reminds us of our mortality right right and that is something that okay bruce isn't talking about going and murdering 108 people but at the end of the Odyssey, we see where it all ends up for everybody. And that is everybody ends up dead. And so what do we do with that? Which is why I say, what does it mean that we are all mortal? And in the last, I don't know, few records that, that Bruce has done, he really has been exploring aging and mortality. Western Stars is very much about having to, having to work with uh, the fact that the that the road ahead is shorter than the road behind. Absolutely. You know, at the beginning of Western Stars, we get hitchhiking where, you know, we get a hitchhiker. It's a young person jumping in cars. And the very last moment of Western Stars is Moonlight Motel, where the where the narrator pulls into a parking spot. Yes. Right. The road has come to an end uh, at the end of Western Stars. And. The road is long and seeming without end is how we begin, you know, I'll, uh, you know, um, I'll see you in my dreams. And so, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah. what I, what I, I agree with you, part of this is your, your lenses because of your knowledge seeing this, but it isn't necessarily that long of a stretch, right? I mean, right. you know, it is, uh, I've, I have told the story before that um, my friend Ken um, cannot watch a submarine movie because he served, um, you know, two tours in a submarine and he just sees everything that's wrong in the film. I mean, just, he right. just he, he's totally pulled out of the narrative. And uh, when I watched Fatal Attraction, um, at the time I was working at an insurance company and there is the point where um 
you know, the Michael Douglas's character's wife's car is vandalized and then she gets in a wreck. And my first thought was, wow, two claims in less than three months. Her insurance is really going to go high. (laughs) 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 And, 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 uh, you know, which has nothing to do with the film. Um, So, you know, but I, I... I love seeing that this, it is is not a perfect, you know, exactly right, but it's close enough. There's a lot to do with that. There is a lot to do with that. And and there's another thing too. When, when Springsteen sings, I'll see you in my dreams. I think what he might be getting at is even though individuals are gone, their memories live within us who remain. Right. Yes. And and that's the whole point of mythology. Right. That even though Odysseus is long dead and the Greeks are long gone, the ancient Greeks are long gone. We are still obsessing over who they were, the questions that they were asking and the stories that they told by continuing to tell the story. We tell them in new ways. We change them to meet what our particular audience today needs from us. And what we need to do with our own stories, but it does continue on, not in any kind of physical way, but in this in, in this incorporeal story. And I think that's in part what's happening with Springsteen on Broadway. I'll see you in my dreams. Letter to you, Western stars. You know, I think Springsteen is working with that in in, in some pretty powerful ways. Yeah, I know that when letter d first came out and there was a lot of talk about you know is this the it could feel like an ending and uh marine van sant said she felt like it was the ending and beginning of a new chapter to her that you know as a fan she says i know nothing about this i'm you know i just just but as a fan i did not feel i feel like it is both an ending and a beginning uh, of that um what I think is interesting, right, is that by nature, Bruce is a great storyteller. That's right. You know, whether it's and and um, I think it was Ron Martz who was on the podcast, who's a writer, and he said, we know he's a good storyteller. Why are we not surprised that on these My Home to Yours that they're so entertaining. He, he's a great storyteller. So whatever medium he picks to tell the story, he's going to do a good job. And so it goes back to, from my perspective, listening to you, this classic myth is a certain tale that there is just like there's a structure of a short story that I learned in English, like, like, the, you know, the, I, I can make the motion. I don't remember the words, but the, you know, the, the climax and the resolution yeah. and all that there is a structure to good storytelling, whether it's a movie, a book, or a Greek play. And he's following that almost, I, I don't know how much of that is instinct or just because he is a very smart man. Well, I think, I think it's, um, I think there's something beyond him. You know, he talks about this one plus one equals three in the moment yeah. where, he's, where he's doing, um, you know, where he's doing, you know, 10th Avenue freeze out. I think there's something to that. There's something supernatural about this. You know, the ancient Greek poets, they were channeling something higher than themselves when they did this. They would stand up there with 
a lyre, which is, you know, the modern equivalent would be something like a guitar. And they would stitch together stories that they had memorized. And but but they look at their audience and they maybe shifted a little bit according to what is going. So they were they were they were myth makers. They were they were storytellers. That's exactly what what Bruce is. He's part of this tradition that goes all the way back to Homer. Yes, and yes. It, it extends far and wide, whether or not he knows it, is conscious of it. There's something when human beings get together in front of other human beings and they sing songs and they tell stories because Homer was meant to be performed live. It wasn't meant to be read as a dead book. These were performed in front of audiences, sung with a, a stringed instrument. Something happens. And when I sat and listened and actually saw in person Springsteen on Broadway, there was something that was happening inside of me that that was immaterial, that I that it was a one plus one equals three kind of experience. That's I think that's Bruce's way of trying to articulate what goes on in a shared communal experience like that. I think that's why, why Bruce is so good live, because he he knows what that's about and he's channeling something. Yeah. Yeah. You hear he'll he'll change. You know, they'll talk about sometimes he'll change the the set list or the the style or, you know, what's going on. He feels that mood. He said in an interview that his biggest fear of performing the Super Bowl was that there are nights when the band comes out flat. And what they do is they change things up to get this started. And I won't have time to do that. So um, when you think of that, of and and I'm a big fan of I have gone to different pubs and there for a while there till uh, Katrina, uh, Daniel Daniel Flaherty has owned an Irish pub in New Orleans and he had his bar had two sections. You walked into a middle section to the left was a bar, typical bar where a lot of you know the jukebox and beer but to the right was the song room right and there is this beautiful sign that said that this tradition that this would be storytellers and that the audience would treat it with reverence that's right and there would be no talking that's right and 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 it's sure enough when you went in there um there was no talking among the audience it was everyone was listening intently to the performers both to the right. music and the stories they tell. And that's what Broadway felt like to me that, yeah. you know, it was that, that, and I go back to um, the VH1 storytellers where he says, was I consciously thinking of this? You know, did I mean to do it? I don't know, but I felt all of it. That's right. And I think that's where it goes to. I, I Exactly. And I, I you know, Spring, so I begin, the first thing that students read is the Odyssey, and the last thing they do is view Springsteen on Broadway. And it's a way of bringing everything full circle, right? It's, it follows the same structure, but there's also some other things. This is the closest thing that I can give you that I know about for you to have an experience of what it would be like to sit in front of Homer. The stories are different. The instrumentation is different. The, the specifics are different, but the experience, that's the same. And I think what goes back to when we first heard of this, 
um, I pictured, and by the way, my second show was a Devils and Dust show, and I was just amazed. Like, I can, this would be what it was like. In fact, I had a friend said, This is what I picture if Bruce was lecturing at some university or college, is that Devils and Dust show is what I think he would do. He would tell stories, he would talk about the structure, then he'd play a song. And so that's what I thought Broadway would be. And when you go, and I was lucky enough to see the first round, but even when you watch it on Netflix, there is no good evening or nothing. It is he, he immediately is in character right. and telling his story. Well, and part of what that character is, Jesse, is he's deconstructing the character that he created. Yes. So he's recognizing that he has, in one way or another, made a myth of himself. Yes. And is deconstructing that myth. And he talks about that moment quite pointedly when he when he says, when I was looking for clothes to wear, I put on my father's clothes. Yes. Right. Because those it's something like those whose love we wanted but didn't get, we imitate them. Right. Yeah. And so. There he's talking about playing a character and this whole, you know, mid 1980s Bruce where he's wearing denim uh, you know, denim pants and cut off shirts that show his, his muscles. He has the body of a working man with the yeah. sweat band on his head, right. right? All of that is, all of that is an idealized version of a working person, what they might look like. It, I'm also reminded, I'm a big Penn and Teller fan. And when they perform, they're often breaking down the persona of magic they are right. showing you know it it's not that they give away secrets to magic because they have magic look at a different way and what i the honesty of bruce to say um that you know i made it up that's how good i was right, <laughs> right. Like, you know, that's right I, I, you know and um that pulling back the curtain is is so fascinating and i i i i had never thought about the you know these the odyssey or these other you know you know i think about shakespeare at times and i i remember that shakespeare isn't meant to be read it's meant to be heard and that's watched right. and so i guess as you're saying that's what these were meant to as well that's right and i'll say something else too jesse so a couple of things one you know, um, there's this great story I love. I think it's in it's in Little Steven's autobiography, but I've heard him tell it many times yeah. where I think Bruce invites Little Steven over to hear the demos what would, of what would ultimately become Tunnel of Love. Yeah. And, and Little Steven hears the first song, Ain't Got You. And he says something like, what the hell is this? I got caviar yeah. on ice and all this. What? This is terrible. Get rid of this. And Bruce says something. I'm just trying to be honest about my about my life. And I think little Steven, at least the way that he tells it, I don't know what really happened. Yeah. Said, they don't come to hear about you. They come to hear about them. Yes. And, and that is the thing that a good storyteller can, can do. You know, Bruce is, we all know, especially those of us who are, who are real fans, we know that, that Bruce has gone through many stages and he's, he's put on many different kinds of personae at, at various points. Some of them resemble who he probably is 
in real life. Some of them are caricatures. There's always a campy quality to what, what he does. You know, if, you know, he falls down on the stage and Clarence has to come and revive him. Well, it's all a show. We, we know that he's not really, you know, passing out from, you know, rock and roll and all that. But ancient poets were called rhapsodes. And what a rhapsode is, it means a person who stitches together parts of the story. And a rhapsode would stitch together parts of these well-known stories, as we said, based on the people that are there, because they have to address their concerns and what's going on with them. And that is, I think, in part, when Bruce is successful, his more successful work not that any of it's unsuccessful, but the stuff that connects isn't about him. It's because he's telling us about who, who we are, though it's part of who he is. So we're, we're connecting with him, but it's more about us. That's what I would say. I, I, I love this. this. Thank you. This has been fascinating. I would not have, I definitely feel like this is one plus one equals three. You know, this is uh, fascinating. I, I, I now wish I was going to your course. I, you know, I, I just, uh, this, this sounds like a blast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You actually, this is another thing that you'd actually have to be in the room for because yeah. uh, it's really, I let students sit in a group and we do it over the course of two days and they just go through each section of Springsteen on Broadway. And what I'm asking them to do is say, what do you think about this? Have you experienced something like this? It becomes about them. And in the end, I say, look, I know that you guys are in your 20s. And for you, it's not Bruce Springsteen. It's Taylor Swift or whatever. Yeah. But I, but I say, you have to demand this from, who, from your artists too. Yes. Springsteen will be, won't, is not going to be with us in 30 years, 40 years. I don't know. I hope he's with us for a long time, all, obviously. But he's left behind a body of work. And I think that that body of work uh, it should be a model for others to imitate as Homer was a, a model for others to imitate. Stephen, this has been a joy. Thank you so much. Um, any final thoughts? I don't know. We've said it all. I think, I don't know what else. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, you know, this is once again, a casual, you know, mention in your email to me and we have now just spent almost an hour discussing this and I what a great episode I, I cannot wait to get this out so people to hear it um, if someone wants to reach you what's the best way well they're gonna have to do it by email I don't I don't have I any I don't have any uh, um, um, so it's my full name Stephen S-T-E-P-H-E-N no space and my last name Mayulo M-A-I-U-L-L-O at gmail.com And if anyone is interested in the lectures that I have recorded for my students, I'm happy to share those or the, the, the question sheets. If you want to check those out, I'm happy to share those with you all. That's nice. Um, That's good. I'm, I'm now thinking I might have to check out Homer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that is, uh, that would make me very happy because there are things that I love. I love great storytellers too, Jesse. And I see Bruce as part of this great long history that extends back all the way to Homer, who's, who's great. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. Listeners, uh, please uh, email me, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. And uh, 
and tell me what you think. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, for now, go get vaccinated, go get boosted. Uh, let's, let's remain diligent in taking care of each other because that's how we're going to get through this. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, listeners. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. I want and need your feedback. You can reach me multiple ways to tell me what you like or don't like about the show. You can reach out to give me guest suggestions or maybe to join me on the podcast yourself. We're on Twitter at SetLustingBruce or at Jesse Jackson DFW. I have an Instagram, SetLustingBruce or Jesse Jackson DFW. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash setlustingbruce. Go to patreon.com slash setlustingbruce to find out how you can support the show. And we have several tiers of support. Please go to your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. And tell a friend about the podcast because that is the way we're going to grow. If you're not tired of hearing me speak, you can hear me on Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, where Charles Skaggs and I talk all things Doctor Who, the How Many podcast, where me and my friends Gary, Scott, Bob, and Jr. talk pop culture, and finally, my newest podcast, The Last Best Hope for Conversation, a Babylon 5 podcast, where Karen, Lou, and I are going through the TV show Babylon 5 one episode at a time. I am always looking for guests, so please reach out to me, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. That listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.